Hello, y'all, and welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Stoffer, and today we are going to be doing a recap of Week 5, talking about some notable scores and performances, as well as games on the 1 through 5A level going Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, as we typically do. However, this episode is going to start slightly different as there is something that needs to be addressed happening within the athletic and football community here in Colorado. Now, the way that I'm going to go about this segment is I'm going to first start off with the facts that I have collected and Simon has collected from various news reporting media outlets that include KRDO, they include KOAA, as well as the Gazette down in Colorado Springs to talk about what happened at Falcon High School and why did they have to forfeit a game this past weekend. And so following that, we will have our own statement from Playmakers Corner, everyone here in ingredients to, you know, speak down on what happened and our opinions on what happened and why everything that happened was wrong. But first, Falcon High School and their football program were suspended last Tuesday, the 21st, to investigate a hazing and harassment issue on the football team. D49 launched an investigation and then reported it to Chasso, being Colorado High School Athletic Association, and a separate investigation was launched by the El Paso County Sheriff's Office. And we'll talk about some of those, but ultimately it was found out that there is hazing and sexual misconduct included in this hazing slash harassment which is disgusting on multiple levels but as i said we will talk about how we feel about it following the facts of the story but anyways it was found out that this incident was brought to a school resource officer's attention on september 15th meaning that the Specific reported incident happened probably on September 14th is the suspicion and then a full investigation was launched and during this investigation it was found by D49 I believe as well as the El Paso County Sheriff's Office that this was not an isolated incident that was reported and that multiple coaches, parents, and players of all grades on the football team knew about the incidents such as this one happening and that it wasn't the first time that any of this had happened yet. And so some things about that obviously means that players of all grades and ages were committing hazing and harassment and or harassment, I should say, of all grades. So it wasn't, you know, a specific senior on freshman kind of thing or like a sophomore and freshman kind of thing. There was involvement through all levels of the program, freshman, junior varsity, and varsity, as well as all class ages. It was also reported that a lot of parents remained silent in reporting such incidences in fear that it would affect their children's playing time on the football field. And there was one parent who was quoted by the Gazette and brought up an incident to the principal following a conversation with their child. And this parent wished to remain anonymous to protect themselves and their child from the community, the community being Falcon, Falcon High School, and the football team. So some of the repercussions from what they found is that they had to forfeit their game to Mesa Ridge, who played a separate game, and I'll talk about the in the scores recap of the episode. And 
you know, D49 has closed their investigation. I believe it was on Friday, which would make it September 24th. And some statements from the school and the principal included that the school is, quote, ready to reset the season and move forward with team activities and competition. Also another, or end quote, another quote from Daryl Bonds being the principal of Falcon High School was, quote, some students have received appropriate consequences for misconduct and are proceeding through our restorative process, end quote. And it was also reported by KRDO that the principal, Daryl Bonds, was set to meet with the interim coach, Josh Flores, to give the students, quote, definite closure, end quote, about the incident and to move on with the season. With all this in mind, it is now time for PMC's statement on this. And I speak for Coach V and I spoke for Coach Austin here and ev and everyone a part of Playmakers Corner and who works on this podcast that as a coach and as someone who has coached in the past and me personally who works with youth nearly every day of the week and for Simon being a former educator in a middle school as well as a youth coach and you know as people who have younger family members cousins who are in high school and have done athletics and as someone like me personally who has younger siblings who you know one recently just got out of the high school system and as one who has a sibling in middle school this makes us sick to find out what happened at falcon high school and that we find it absolutely abhorrent okay this in in our opinion you know i'm just gonna really tear into them any coaching staff that doesn't make their players feel safe on their own field or in their own locker rooms doesn't deserve the job on any level much less the youth level when we are talking about children in the most important stages of development and just wanting to keep people safe in general it is disgusting and very incompetent and negligible on everybody's parts here and so we we hate an environment where parents don't speak out in fear of playing time that's just disgusting and it i think that that's a very accurate they're almost telling on themselves on what their priorities are and how skewed they are that they are putting playing time and sports ahead of not only potentially their own children but other people's children's safety on the back burner compared to sports and football that is horribly irresponsible and i think just really selfish and short-sighted on all of these parents part and i have no shame in calling out these parents and saying that you guys suck as parents if you know about what's happening here and you're prioritizing football over and your your kids playing time over the safety of other children you suck and you're probably not qualified to be a parent that's where i stand with that and you know i'm not i i believe simon and mason stand with me on that hill 100 percent that Y'all suck as parents, and that's you should be ashamed of yourselves. You should be ashamed and disgusted with yourselves. I don't know how you go home and look at yourselves in the mirror and think that you're doing a good job or that you're doing the best when 
You can't even take care of the next generation like that, and you subject them to the horrors of sexual misconduct and hazing inside of a locker room, knowing that it's happening and failing to take any action to correct that. <sighs> On that note, I did read that five or more players are being further investigated by El Paso since their investigation is not currently closed, which I don't believe D49 should be closed either if they actually cared about the kids. But I think that whatever they find and, you know, the lack of disclosure on the punishments from the principal are very worrying for this program. And it should be very concerning for any parents looking to enlist their kids at this school because I think it shows just a level of incompetence that endangers students and, and children on, in the worst possible ways. And what I mean by that is, you know, this whole restorative process quote, I understand from what I understand in the community and from some ears that I have to the ground there, that is kind of a slap on the wrist or the equivalent to a slap on the wrist. And in my eyes, it sounds like a return to, you know, either the school or to the field for some people who are found guilty of, you know, doing such detestable acts, I don't think that they belong in those places because this sounds like an environment that is not punishable enough or it sounds too welcoming for predators, which to me, I, I don't think that's how that environment should be. And I guess that puts me in disagreement with the football team, the athletic program, the administrators, as well as the parents, all they're over in that Falcon committee and over at Falcon High School. I personally don't want to send my kids to a school where predators are still allowed to roam abound, but I guess, you know, I'm not sending my kid to Falcon, so it's not really up to me to make that decision, I guess. So if y'all can live with that, then first off, shame on you. Shame on you for being able to accept that and, you know, be okay with the idea that this could potentially happen again and probably will happen again if, you know, not further disciplinary action is taken on behalf of Falcon High School. So I, I strongly disagree with how they're handling it. And also, in addition to that, in my opinion, and in Simon and Mason's opinion, if you are a bystander in sexual misconduct that sounds like it, it leads towards some form of assault or harassment, you, you are no better. You are also guilty. So this football team with players and Parents knowing, like, it, I feel like almost everybody on this football team knows, and I don't know how you could put on your shoulder pads not being able to protect your brothers in arms on that football field in their own locker room or on the field. I don't know how you could go and look someone in the eye when you can live with that. And I know that there are seniors on this team and veteran leadership in this high school program who are supposed to take care of, of every player on this team. And... You know, take care of them on the field, in the classroom, in the locker room. And that simply was not happening. So also to any players who knew about this and didn't do anything about this, shame on you. Shame on you for not stepping up and taking care of someone else. That's, I don't care what age you are, but part of you knows that something about this is wrong. All right. And so that you got to take care of that and you got to do something about it. All right. And for those who told their parents, kudos to you. That is exactly what you're supposed to do in that situation. And if your parents didn't do anything about it, I'm sorry that you have to live with that. Cause that is, I'm sorry that 
you're being raised by a coward because that's disgusting. And sorry if I sound so repetitive, but there's really not a whole lot of words that come to mind in this situation other than disgusting. So, and as someone who has studied hazing and some of the long-term damage that it can cause, as well as some of the very extremes of it and where it can lead, I, I have a very strong opinion on everything that has happened here and how it has been handled. So, you know, with, with players not protecting players in the locker room, it, it's also obvious that the same could be said for coaches, which if you don't know what's happening in your own locker room, that's a problem. And if you do know what's happening in that locker room and you're not doing anything about it, that's an even bigger problem. Get control of your program. That is pathetic. That is pathetic. And I think an accurate reflection of how in control a lot of coaches in this Colorado high school football kind of culture are. All right, you guys just get your paychecks, you come up with five plays, you run it, you win some games, and you let whatever happen, regardless of how much it hurts people. So good for you, good for you. And obviously the same uh, applies for parents and administration. So here at Playmakers Corner, we understand that this situation is not over. However, we do have a problem with the mentality being stated by the principal. Such statements as that the school is, quote, ready to reset the season and move forward with team activities and competition, end quote. Or, quote, some students have received appropriate consequences for misconduct and are proceeding through our restorative process, end quote. Or that, you know, there is a meeting held between the principal and the interim coach to give the students, quote, definite closure, end quote, to the incidents. That's, you can't be that stupid and be running a program like this or be in charge of a school. You just can't be because there's no closure for some of these kids. For the victims that this happened to, there is no closure for this. This is something that they are going to think about for their entire high school career. This is something that they're going to think about whenever they head into the locker room. This is something that they're going to think about whenever they look at some players who just watched and stood by and laughed at them as these things happen. This is not something that you can just close the door on. I'm sorry, but there is still a lot to be done here on both the school side, the district side, the admin side, the state side, and obviously with the El Paso Sheriff's County El Paso Sheriff County's office investigating it still, there's still things to be done on the legal side of this. So this is far from over and we here at Playmakers Corner, we hope that, you know, some actual justice is brought about to the to what's happening inside of that locker room and to this program i really hope that chassa hammers them with a suspension from the postseason not like they were going to make it anyway because they sorry because they allow things like this to happen and the coaches have no control over the locker room but we hope that they get hammered harder by you know the state and by legal bodies then they're going to hammer themselves because they don't care they don't care enough to take care of their students I don't believe that there is enough being done and you know the community reacting the way that there is and that there's not an outcry for more to happen and for further discipline I think that that is a very accurate representation of who they are in all facets and that their priorities aren't straight and that you know if you're willing to sacrifice kids safety for football and athletics and for maybe one more win yeah you're you're in the wrong you're in the wrong business or whatever and you seriously need to do some soul searching and take a good look at yourself and i think that instead of trying to move on 
that maybe the focus here at Falcon High School and by D49 is to write what has been wronged. And that's just not the attitude or the energy I have received from the emails that I have read through from the principal. And it is not the energy that I am receiving from the news reports. And it's not the energy that I am receiving from the program in general. And so we here at Playmakers Corner, we are sorry to the players and parents who were unaware and caught in the middle of this very horrible situation. But we are extremely sorry for the victims here at Falcon High School of the for the incompetence and negligence shown to them by people they were supposed to trust, such as other players, coaching staff, and the administration at Falcon High School. Whew. Now, say what you will about, but we don't care what really you have to say about this, because if, if you disagree and you prioritize not player safety, then whatever. We don't care about what you have to say because obviously you don't have anything good to say and I don't have to listen to it. But anyways, that does it for this opening segment here. If you have any further questions, there's obviously a ton of links and you know there's, there's news articles about what happened here. And if you're in the community, then I really hope that you do something about it and you change the culture over there. But with all that being said, we will... After this break, come back and talk 1A football and move through our normal Week 5 recap. Hey y'all, and welcome back to your regularly scheduled program here on the Playmakers Corner Podcast with your host, Cody Stoffer here. And just before we jump into 1A football, I'm going to pass it over to Simon to talk about the middle school football game. I actually got to see the second half of this game where I actually walked down the hill as the pick six happened and this game's kind of energy shifted. But anyways, here's Simon. All right, what's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. My name is Simon Boyanos. I'm going to be talking about this middle school matchup that we went to on Saturday between the Aurora Spartans and the Thunder Gray. Now, um, there were a couple players, actually, or a player on the Thunder Gray that reached out to us, and so this was a game that we've been looking forward to all season, and we'll be going to more Thunder Gray games, so we'll be covering some of the players there as well, as well as the Aurora Spartans. We'll be rocking with them throughout the season. But... Just some names to look out for, you know. So, number one, Chase Pruitt. Shout out to him. Young CMC, running back, receiver, linebacker. He was the kiddo that reached out to us. Uh, he had a fantastic game on the Thunder as well. I want to say number 21, Mo Thielen. I want to... I believe that's how you say it. He plays running back, linebacker. He plays a lot of things, honestly. On the defensive side of the ball, he's an absolute menace. And so I just wanted to throw those names out there. Obviously, if you've been listening to this to us uh, for a minute here, you know the Aurora Spartans and the players we usually rock with. And we'll talk about them again here. But a couple really interesting plays happened in this game. Uh, first off, it was a really close game. The final score of this game was 16 to 14, uh, with the Aurora Spartans barely uh, pulling this one out, but still getting the dub regardless. Um, in the first half, 
uh, DJ Bordell, he found his boy Tanner, number 15, on a 40-yard, uh, really just beautiful throw and catch. It was a toe-tap inbounds in the second. Great throw by DJ, um, and then by Tanner, you know, way to get up there and make a play on that. And honestly, that was one of the few, uh, like, huge chunk plays in this first half. Really, in this whole game. This game was a close one. Um, very much a, very much a defensive struggle, I would say, in the first half. No team scored yet. It was 0-0 going in. Now, you had some nice plays here and there. Number one, Chase Pruitt, he took a... I'm, Honestly, he took a reverse or a jet sweep on one play. Got a couple good yards. He had, a, I think, he had one other reception in that first half as well for a nice gain. But like I said, um, both teams just couldn't get it going. You know, I think they're both feeling each other out defensively. They're doing great. Uh, number twenty-one, uh, Mo Pru or sorry, Mo Thielen for for uh, the Thunder Gray. He was all over the place defensively. They lined him at defensive line. Um, he was out at linebacker sometimes. He'd drop back every now and then. He was really doing his thing, and he really impressed, you know. He was just a super, just a versatile football player out there, and he did his thing, and so he's, uh, he's gonna be a really interesting player to look at, you know, because really, like, he was just all over the place, and, um, just doing a very good job, and in addition, you know, this Thunder team was well coached, uh, they did have a spy on DJ for a lot of the game, kind of preventing him from getting outside and, um, ripping off huge runs at the very least, and kind of trying to keep him contained rushing-wise there, and so they did a nice job there but going into the second half it was 0-0 not gonna lie there are there were a lot of questionable referee calls throughout this game a lot of them in the first half obviously a lot of the second half as well you know and so it was getting def it was definitely getting a little bit heated on both sidelines for sure but rightfully so because there were some just plain bad calls throughout the whole game there but to start the second half, though, you know, there are a lot of players for this Aurora Spartans team that j just stepped it up, you know. And so we're really happy to be able to talk about more of these players here that just made plays when it mattered, right? And so um, let me talk about Tanner, number 15, once again. Uh, in the third quarter, he got a huge pick six, you know. Um, it was just a good it was just a good play on his part, you know. He read the play very well at the safety position. He jumped the route, and then he took it all the way to the house. Uh, it wasn't like the longest return uh, either because I believe he only had to go like maybe 30, 40-ish yards at most. But regardless, it kind of broke the scoring drop there. And the Spartans go ahead and take a commanding lead. Or at least it felt like a commanding lead uh, for the first time this game going up. And then they got the two-point conversion as well. And so they went ahead and went up 8-0 in the third quarter. Now, throughout this game, there are some other great defensive efforts as well. Number 49, Lee. Um, I've actually had my eye on him for this... I think this is the second straight week now because the last week against Spartans Chrome, I want to say, he had a really solid game, in my opinion, did a good job um, just, you know, holding down that edge. And, you know, this game, he did a good job doing that as well. In fact, I believe they're running it away from him at times, you know, trying not to go his way. And so he made some big plays on the defensive side of the ball, just holding it down, you know. And it doesn't have to be a sack or anything flashy like that, you know. 
sometimes you just got to do your job. You just got to have somebody that just does their job and stonewalls the opposing offense. Lee, number 49, he did a very good job there. That's a name to look out for. He plays, I want to say it's either outside the line, linebacker or defensive end. He's on that edge there for this Aurora Spartans team. I know Mason Austin, he was very impressed with his play, and he's kind of our, uh, you know, lineman edge rusher expert here. He also coached some good linemen on the come up, including Exodus Johnson for Arapaho, so shout out to them. But uh, he was very impressed with number 49 as well. Said he was doing some good things to, you know, kind of shut down that run to the outside, whether it was Chase bringing it or 21 or number 8, their quarterback, because they were rotating quarterbacks, number 8 being more of the... Uh, you know, more of the scrambling quarterback. He is obviously just a great athlete, honestly, number eight for this Thunder team. Um, looking forward to watching him play again because he was causing some fits for the Spartans team just because he's a great athlete. And so when he has to improvise, that's kind of his strong suit there. And so there are a couple plays that, you know, were shut down by 49 out there uh, when number eight was trying to improvise and whatnot just by being out there and holding it down. And then, uh, continuing to talk about the Spartans team, number 10, Juice. We've talked about him before. He had a nice return last week that was unfortunately called back, but he made a good impact in this game. He had a really nice pick in the third quarter as well to kill yet another Thunder drive. And honestly, at this point, you know, you just got to score points and finish points, you know. Get him, get those points whenever you can. And so, uh, for this Thunder team to throw a pick and, you know, for Juice to get that pick, that was huge. Uh, and kind of, you know, it shifted the momentum of this game a little bit more in favor of the Spartans as uh, that Thunder team was driving at that point as well. Now, going into the fourth quarter, it was still a one-score game, but a couple more Spartans continued to step up. Um, number 52, I believe his name is Javon. He had two sacks, uh, or I think he got his second sack in this fourth quarter. That's another kiddo that our boy Mason Austin was really impressed with. He played a very nice game on the defensive side of the ball. And honestly, the Spartans' defense was rolling. You know, They were doing a good job on their assignments. They were getting after the quarterback. They were causing pressure. They were you know, causing turnovers as well. And so I don't know what more you could have asked out of this defense. They played a very good game. But shout out to Javon. You know, two sacks in this game at least. I think he might have gotten a couple more. Um, at least a couple more tackles. You know, I don't know about a couple more sacks. But he was definitely making his presence known out there as well. Contributing to this defensive effort. Now, I don't know if I miswrote the number, or I, I don't know if I just got the wrong number here, but I believe the Spartans got another interception in the fourth quarter. I wrote down number 99. I don't know if that's right or not, but uh, that was kind of a huge one. Continuing to stall out this drive. At this point, the Spartans, I don't believe, have scored another touchdown yet, at least until they got the ball in number 26, Sterling Dufour. Yes, I am saying his name because I believe the last couple weeks I've just been calling him number 26, but he got a really nice touchdown run on a stretch play uh, to the outside, and he scored. And that was kind of a huge play they, there. They went for two, got the conversion as well. And so, you know, that uh, kind of started putting some distance between the Spartans team and Thunder team at this point. It was around 16-0 uh, to kind of, I believe, in the fourth quarter. I don't think this Thunder team scored. I don't think they scored um, in the third at all. And so these 14 points they got happened in the fourth, actually. 
one of those scores for this Thunder team was a pretty insane 75-yard-ish uh, touchdown return by number one Chase Pruitt, aka Young CMC, out there getting the Thunder back on the board and making this a one-score game really quickly and whatnot in the fourth quarter. I want to say they went ahead and got the two-point conversion right after that. So it was an 8-16 to 16 game um, sometime in the fourth. And then I, after that, I think the Spartans, they were trying to run out the clock and whatnot. They did their thing there. And then the uh, Thunder got the ball back and they scored once again. I didn't write down who scored. Um, my apologies there. But they scored at least one more time to make it. 16 to 14 uh, didn't get the conversion I don't believe and so as y'all know that ended up being the final score the Thunder would get one more chance to go and try to you know try to win the game on their last drive but unfortunately they just ran out of time and the Spartans win a very close game 16 to 14 in a thriller and both of these teams are really good um, there's one other player on this Thunder on this Thunder team that I want to shout out and that's number 90 uh, he's a big boy up front, but on the defensive side of the ball, me and Mason were both very impressed with the pressure he was just getting on the defensive side of the ball um, in the interior. And that's always tough, you know, when you got a guy like number 99 just pressuring the interior of your offensive line. That's never a good thing. That always disrupts your offensive line and whatnot. And then when you have a number 21 that you could basically put anywhere and he would do his thing as well, that, you know, that causes for a couple fits here. But altogether, a very good team win for this Aurora Spartans team. I would say DJ Bordeaux didn't have a bad game. He did what he could against a very good uh, Thunder Gray team, you know, just managing the ball and trying not to make too many turnovers and making the right football plays when you can. But like I said, this was a very much a, you know, a team win. The Sorora Spartans defense played out of their minds, you know, and the thing that kind of sucks as well is that I'm talking about some of these players here like uh, Tanner, number 15, Sterling to 4, 26. This is like the third straight week. I'm talking about him. And Juice, number 10 as well. And these are players that, you know, play both sides of the ball, offense and defense. And so uh, the biggest thing that this coaching staff really has to focus on, and they did a good job this game, was just managing, you know, snaps for these players and whatnot, making sure they're not too gassed because it was getting pretty hot out there. I'm not even going to lie, you know, on that turf field out at Powell Middle School. But, you know, they do have to manage their snaps so they can't play them full out you know, on offense and defense and expect them to, you know, just turn up when they're completely exhausted having to do everything. And so I felt like the coaching staff did a really good job rotating players in and out, um, you know, and they made the right plays when they could, honestly. They made the right plays when they could. And so as a coach, you take that for this Thunder team. Felt like this was a winnable game. You know, I think at the end of it, they just made, uh, obviously, they just had way too many turnovers. You know, they had a lot of picks, I feel. I feel like number eight, he he's not a bad quarterback, I would say, but I would definitely say he's more of an athlete 
on the next level. I think he's an exceptional athlete and whatnot. I just don't think he's as polished at quarterback right now, which is fine. You know, that's not his play style and whatnot. He could still win games running the ball and making the plays that he did. Um, but against a really good or against good teams like this Aurora Spartans team, like you just can't be doing all that. And you kind of got to make sure it's uh, cleaned up and your game is tightened up there. But a really good game here at Powell Middle School. We'll be looking forward to watching both of these teams moving forward absolutely and thank you simon for that summary of that game it was a very entertaining game it was actually the first time that i got to see the aurora spartans team play and i was very pleased by what i saw simon had some good points of just the amount of playmakers that they had and just the creativity used to get all of these guys looks and then chase pruitt really came to play and you know lived up to his to his instagram handle of uh, young cmc so be sure to check the Instagram post where I will tag him among some of our other top athletes from this past week and how they did. But I believe that's all the news that we had from the middle school level. We are going to try and make it out to a junior buffs game as well. And in case you didn't know, you know, uh, there's there's definitely some buzz going around about where some of those junior buff players are going to go. And so that is some of the bigger news in middle school football but we are going to now transition into 1A. And in 1A, there wasn't a whole lot of news from Thursday games. However, there was some big news on some Friday games. You know, if you recall from our week four recap, Yahir Trejo was our player of the week on the 1A level for Yuma High School. And Yuma, they actually played a team from Nebraska, the Sydney Red Raiders. And... You know, Yahir showed out again with another 209 rushing yards and two touchdowns while, you know, holding it down on the defensive end once again with eight tackles. And, you know, really the whole Yuma defense was doing a great job against this Sydney team. They were flying around making plays. You had uh, Kalen Bloch who had eight tackles. You had John Smith, who had seven tackles as well, who also had an interception and a receiving touchdown for this Yuma team. So, you know, they have multiple guys who can get it done on both sides of the ball. And, you know, that is something to be excited about for this Yuma team heading forward into a very competitive league on that 1A level. And they got to give it everything they have on both sides of the ball to compete with teams like Lyman and Wiggins, who they both have up next, and the rest of their league, who includes Burlington, Ray, and Holyoke. So, this is actually probably one of the most competitive divisions in all of Colorado football, being the 1A North Central. There's a lot of talent, especially this year, and I can't wait to see some of these teams play. That might even be a preview of a 1A championship, depending on how the bracket shakes out and whatnot. But anyways, you know, Yuma, they get the win against Sydney, who was at 500 in this game, so I wouldn't say that they're a pushover. They win 21 to 12. They're very good at winning these close football games and hanging on to the end. Whether that's a big defensive stop or a big offensive touchdown, they can do a little bit of everything. And so they're going to want to look to do the exact same thing against Lyman, who actually, you know, I didn't write down their score because they murdered whoever they played. Uh, so Lyman comes into this game undefeated. And, you know, Yuma comes in with their only loss being to Strasburg. Speaking of Strasburg, they finally got back in the win column. It's kind of been a rough past few weeks with injuries such as the Landon Martin situation, their quarterback who's been injured, 
It's been really unfortunate and their schedule only gets tougher as we go further into the season. However, they were able to get a dub this week and a pretty dominant one, I would say. And it was mainly highlighted by running back Zach Marrero, who ran for 175 yards and four touchdowns himself, including a long of 63. And, you know, some other players on this team, they had, you know, some plays on the defensive side of the ball. You had Matthias, who had 11 tackles and two for loss. And then you also had Egan Stevens and Wilson Ames both get three tackles for loss, over three tackles for loss in a win where Strasburg ended up in the backfield 18 times, 18 times against their opponent and really just rinse the floor with them. And so that's a huge confidence booster that you can get it done on the ground. Your defense is stepping up and, you know, everyone is kind of trying to pick up the slack that is left over from losing your starting quarterback for the year, essentially. So, you know, Strasburg really needed that win. I'd say not only obviously for playoff hopes, but especially morale wise, it was it was crucial. Otherwise, they would be left on the outside looking in for probably the rest of the season. Anywho, you also had Holyoke who recovered from their first loss of the year to Florence last week. They bounced back by destroying the 2A runner-ups in Lamar, 49-14. You know what the story is out there in Holyoke. They got those Sprague boys and, you know, they, they know how to ball. But I think the biggest news out of 1A, at least on Friday, had to be the matchup between Wiggins High School and Flatirons Academy who were both 3-0 heading into this matchup, both looking like powerhouses in the state with solid defenses and guys, you know, under center who could get it done. And, well, it was not as close of a game as you might have thought. Flatirons Academy could not get in rhythm whatsoever against this Wiggins defense, getting stuffed constantly at the run. Nolan Shepard was running for his life basically all game and was pressured on basically every drop back. They had a ton of turnovers, you know, where they lost three fumbles. Nolan Shepard threw a pick. And, you know, it's definitely not how you want to be feeling heading into league play as they are. But a loss is a loss. And you got to give it to this Wiggins team where their defense sacked Nolan Shepard eight times, which included Pepper Rusher, who is a junior on this Wiggins defense who had three of the eight sacks and another 10 tackles. And yeah, they just pushed this Flatirons Academy line around all over. And I think that it put a major hole in Flatirons Academy, you know, bid to be a championship team when you can't compete up front with a team like Wiggins on the offensive or defensive side of the ball. And I think further proof of that is just you know, Wiggins, their defense showed up and showed that this team is way more than just Cole Kerr. However, that does not mean that Cole Kerr is not the face of this Wiggins team. He did whatever he wanted to this game. He did throw a single interception, but it's not too bad when you consider that he completed 69% of his passes for 315 yards and four passing touchdowns while adding another 161 on the ground and two rushing touchdowns, making him a very solid candidate to win player of the week, especially in an undefeated matchup like this, where, you know, what is your reputation going to be for the rest of the year, especially heading into the competitive 
won a Northwest Central League that you're heading into? Are you going to be the ones who step up in this league? And Wiggins just put on a very good display that they should and will be taken seriously. And, you know, it got, Cole Kerr is definitely a spearhead of this program and put on a great display for a 1A player of the year candidation. And so, speaking a bit more on Wiggins, they, they moved to 4-0, and when the quarterback succeeds, there's there's receivers they got to eat, and Omar Perez and Trey uh, Fesik, I think is how you say that, but correct me if I'm wrong, Trey, uh, both of them, they left with their bellies full. You know, Omar had three touchdowns and 181 yards, while Trey got six catches for 121 yards and a score. So these guys were carving up this Flatirons Academy secondary. The Flatirons Academy line couldn't get a push on either side of the ball. Nolan Shepard was running for his life, and I think it's honestly a miracle that they were even able to put up a touchdown against this Wiggins team. They are very dominant. I would not be worried if I were Flatirons Academy. I think that you have a very manageable league schedule. You're still 3-1. And so you just got to figure out how you're going to compete against some of these bigger teams come playoff time. So with all those in mind, that takes us to Saturday's games. And I think the only one I put down here was a very close match between the Meeker Cowboys and Buena Vista. So Meeker actually jumped out to a 14-0 lead on the heels of Kelton Turner, who put in a dominant performance against this Buena Vista team running the ball 29 times for 215 yards and a touchdown and then on defense leading in tackles with 11 tackles and interception on Hayden Camp being one of the best quarterbacks in the entire state of Colorado one through 5a and yeah Kelton Turner has got to be frustrated about how this game went down because after jumping out to a 14 nothing lead and stuffing this Buena Vista offense. You know, they were able to score just before half to make it 7-14. to 14. And, you know, then the Buena Vista defense stepped up exactly like you're supposed to in that second half. And that was through great efforts of Seth Moss, Elijah Evans, and Ethan Flavin, who, or Flavin, who all combined for over 30 tackles between the three of them and were terrorizing Kelton in the backfield in the second half. They were just timing the snap really well. They were reading plays significantly better. And I think Meeker got a little too comfortable with that 14-0 lead. I got to be honest with you. And sure enough, you know, Buena Vista was able to string together a good drive and make it 10-14. to And a little bit more of back and forth until, well, big players make big plays in situations here. And... Hayden Camp with under a minute left between running the ball himself and completing a few passes and Jacob Phelps' help out of the backfield. They moved into the red zone where Jacob Phelps sealed the deal, scoring a touchdown, making this game 17-14. And Phelps had a hell of a day. He had five catches, you know, being the only pass catcher other than Hayden Camp on a trick play where he got a reception. So, you know, Buena Vista was in their bag trying to pull things off and Jacob Phelps delivered. You know, I think he actually completed that pass. He was the one who threw that and also caught five passes for like 50 yards or 60 yards. And he was the only one who scored for this Buena Vista team that wasn't their kicker running for both touchdowns. And he totaled 116 yards. And these aren't 
the kind of box scores that you know necessarily jump out at you but they are very important especially against a playoff team like meeker and in a tight game where hayden camp kind of struggled in this game you know he went five for 12 for only 66 yards and threw a pick and didn't manage to get into the end zone whatsoever during this entire game but you know this Buena Vista team they're more than just Hayden Camp they're a very stout defense they're a very strong running back they got some good athletes out in the secondary who got some pass breakups and you know their kicker came in clutch today with five whole points in a out of the 17 points so almost scoring a third of those points for this Buena Vista team who remains undefeated at this point in the season with Meeker only dropping this being their second loss of the year I believe. But anywho, that'll do it for our 1A football recap from Week 5. And now we're going to move on to 2A. There is not a whole lot of news here. Kind of a lot of the same old news, honestly, with wins on Friday night, like Eaton with another dominating win over Faith Christian, 50-7. to This time with Ryan Dirksen being a dominant player for the Eaton side. There was a lot of people who contributed and got scores and touches, but Dirksen... He had a pretty nice game on offense and defense, getting a sack, 123 rushing yards, and two scores on offense. But it is still worth noting that Eaton has yet to be challenged this entire season. So you tell me when they're supposed to get a challenge. They have league play coming up. I believe they play in the Patriot League, but we'll, we'll see how that goes. And then also in the 2A conference or level i should say you had dominant moffett county go against 3a kennedy and they were giving isaac cisneros one of the best quarterbacks in the state absolute fits by flying around on defense and they crushed kennedy 51 to 15 and gained a load of confidence before heading against basalt next week who's another dominant 2a team also as far as news goes from the Southwest Conference that I did a preview of, which if you haven't, go ahead and listen to that program, Spotlight. I talk about Alamosa, and I continue to be impressed by just how much they have grown. They advanced to 3-1, beating Manitou Springs 47 to nothing, behind a great effort from Casey Jones, who went 14 of 18 and had five passing touchdowns. And his running back, Dante Gonzalez Jr., had 11 carries for over 100 yards and two scores. So this Alamosa team did whatever they wanted against this Manitou Springs team who has struggled all season with numbers and just competing, really, with their only win being against Salida, who, if you didn't listen to the 2A Southwest Conference preview, I did not have a lot of good things to say about that team. So what does that say about the quality of that win? But anyways... The last game and the biggest game, in my opinion, from the 2A level. This also happened on Friday night. Resurrection Christian faced off against 3A Holy Family. And they actually sunk Holy Family to a 500 record with a 35-20 win and remain undefeated, you know. And this was behind another great effort on Eddie Lemos' part. He ran for 231 yards and two scores. He's their quarterback. He also completed a couple of passes and... You know, kept the chains moving, mainly through athleticism, but this defense especially shined. You had Will Reeves with 11 tackles, including one for loss and a sack. But I think that most impressively was Justin Hawthorne. He had two sacks, 10 tackles, and three tackles for loss for this Resurrection Christian defense. And 
makes a very strong case to be player of the week along with some of these other cats that I talked about on the 2A level. But really, there wasn't a whole lot of interesting matchups, I'd say, on the 2A level. You had Burlington get a 44-7 win against Rye on Saturday, but really, there just wasn't a whole lot of news on the 2A level this week. I believe, yeah, that there's a whole going to be a whole lot more interesting games coming up with league play in mind. And I think that there's quite a few teams on bye this week as well. So, as for the 3A level, there's a little bit more news here where on Thursday, there's actually a lot of Thursday games on the 3A level that were pretty wild. But anyways, you had Lutheran continue its role against a 4A school in Heritage High School behind Clayton Jacobs, the quarterback. He continued his role with three passing touchdowns as well as two rushing touchdowns being extra dominant. And their backup quarterback, Andrew Kronbach, got in as well and threw another two touchdowns in this blowout, winning 60-14. Lutheran is another one of those teams that has yet to be challenged and is making a pretty strong claim to be a 3A champion. On the western side of the planet, on the western side of the state, you had a Palisade versus Conifer game where Malachi Espinosa had five rushing touchdowns and 130 yards in a 42-21 victory against Conifer. Both of these teams were 2-2 two and two heading into this matchup. And, you know, this win could really dictate how the rest of the season goes and how the momentum will carry over. And, you know, Malachi really put in that work to have Palisade be that team heading into the second half of the season and maybe secure a playoff spot as, you know, potentially a lower seed or maybe even a slightly higher seed. And it puts Conifer on, you know, an identity crisis mode for sure, uh, dropping to two and three just before league play. But anyways, on Thursday, you also had the Pueblo South Colts upset Thomas Jefferson High School behind a dominant running game that secured five touchdowns and a defense that was giving quarterback Austin Lindegren fits for Thomas Jefferson. He didn't even throw a touchdown and actually threw two interceptions and only scored on the day through the ground. And so Pueblo South really needed a victory like that. I think that it was massive for their season. And Thomas Jefferson is starting to, you know, I don't know if this is if this team is legit, even with how many players they did return from the spring game, from the spring season. It's not seeming to carry over as much in this fall season. We jump over to Friday on the 3A level, and you had Discovery Canyon travel up to Fort Morgan to play, you know, one of the best overall rounded teams with a Frank Ortega and Briggs Wheatley over there, and they drop their third in the road. That's Discovery Canyon after losing to Fort Morgan 35 to 21 where Discovery Canyon is looking to stop a skid, and Fort Morgan is averaging just over 35 points per game through five games this season, you know, with their point totals being only as low as 31 and as high as 42 or 45. So they're going to look to continue that role. And, you know, Discovery Canyon, they got to figure something out, much like Durango did when they snapped their two-game losing streak, and they snapped it in a very dominant fashion, beating Piedra Vista 48-7 with Zach Haber and Nate Messier, both rushing for over 100 yards and a score. 
And you also on the defensive side had Jarek Baruch, who had a 10 tackle game and was not letting this Piedra Vista team find any sort of daylight. So congrats to Durango for snapping their two game losing streak with a big win just before heading into league play. On Saturday, we actually had Mesa Ridge surpass 500. They did have to find another game following the forfeit from Falcon, but they were able to go off against the Canyon City Tigers, and they won this game through a strong defense who forced four turnovers, being that they forced two fumbles and recovered two of them, and they also had two interceptions on Canyon City. And, you know, the offense had a lot of opportunities. I think that the offense probably should have done a little bit more. You know, they won, like I said, 35-20 to 20 against Canyon City. And Noah Ramirez was just as productive as he was unproductive. He was very inefficient in the passing game. He completed under 50% of his passes. And he's going to have to step that up because they have a big game against Fountain Fort Carson, which will be the PMC game of the week. This week and Simon Villanos will be there so stay tuned for that and just know that this is going to be a tough game for Mesa Ridge and for Fountain Fort Carson who are two teams that you know with a loss here could be on the outside looking in. With all that being said that will actually conclude our 3A segment and I'm actually going to pass it to Simon to talk about a game that he went and watched on Thursday night. It was actually a homecoming game for Ponderosa and then I am going to talk some other Thursday games, and then a Friday game that we actually both attended, as well as some other notable games. It was a very full weekend on the 4A level between Thursday and Friday, and a lot to talk about. So, without further ado, Simon Villanos, go ahead. What's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I am one of your hosts today, Simon Villanos, and I'm here to talk about this 4A matchup between Ponderosa and Vista Peak going into this matchup on September 23rd. Both teams were 3-1, and and I believe this is actually Ponderosa's homecoming game as well. And so let's go ahead and talk about this game. It was an interesting one for sure. Well, as interesting as it could get in a 21-0 win, which is what happened. Ponderosa ended up beating Vista Peak 21-0. Kind of what went down is that, uh, you know, to start the the first quarter, well, to start the game, really, there were a couple interceptions here. So Ponderosa actually got an interception on third down, setting them up uh, inside the 23. Uh, basically, they ran it like six or seven straight times with number 26, their star running back, Zachary uh, Pekarik, I want to say. He ended up running 20 times for 156 yards and a rushing touchdown in this game. So a very solid, solid game from him. But he got the ball and he got Ponderosa into the end zone, uh, getting first blood to get it started. Now, to start the really um, for the whole first half of this game for Vista Peak, uh, they just struggled. They had a lot of stupid plays. You know, a lot of stupid plays. Well, okay, I shouldn't say stupid plays. They had a lot of stupid penalties that took away great plays. So I'm just going to go down the line and uh, say all what happened. So with 7 minutes and 8 seconds left in the first quarter, there was a stupid ineligible receiver penalty that um, 
took away a huge 40-yard completion to number 8 Mayfield. I believe he actually had uh, a really good game this game, actually. Jordan Mayfield, you know, he still ended the game with 7 receptions, 116 yards, uh, despite multiple... You know, multiple receptions being taken away there. But he had a really good game there. But that was just the first one that was taken away. Um, it, at the 4 minute 35 second mark, I think... Okay, so the previous uh, drive died. And then this was a different drive. There was another bad Vista Peak penalty illegal formation which happened a lot um and that erased a 60 yard reception to number eight mayfield once again so that's a whole separate uh, thing there uh and to end that quarter before i move on here um zachary pekarik he had a nice little you know 20 plus yard run uh at the end of the quarter there and so really the story of this first quarter vista peak a lot of bad penalties like not even like Oh, you know, it was a false start. No, it's like ineligible receivers, like dinky stuff like that, illegal formation. I, I don't know, but they were erasing a lot of big plays for them. Ponderosa at this point was just capitalizing off of their mistakes. Nothing special here yet. In the second quarter, Ponderosa was able to score once again. They caught a running back screen to, you guessed it, number 26, Zachary Pekarik. Um, he brought it for 20 yards, and then eventually they'd score and go for two, making it 15-0 with about 10:37 left in the second quarter. So still, you know, it's this is a winnable game. A lot of, you know, throughout most of this game, I would say, was a pretty winnable game for Vista Peak. But they just kept shooting themselves in the foot once again with about 7 minutes 42 seconds left in the second quarter after a huge 40-yard throw off a nice RPO that Mayfield once again caught. You know, they had two penalties in a row that just murdered this entire drive, including a holding call and a bad intentional grounding call. Well, it wasn't bad. The quarterback just didn't get the ball back to the line of scrimmage on second or third down. And so what ended up happening was that it resulted in a fourth and 35. Obviously, they couldn't get that. Um, I mean, that's, that's a pretty long ways to go. And so with that being said, that kind of killed uh, that drive there. It also ended up muffing a punt as well. Um, the punter actually just, he just dropped the ball um, is what happened. And so Ponderosa was set up pretty well. Had multiple penalties on this next drive, which would end up being the last scoring drive of this entire game. But um, they had a lot of penalties, including a pass interference uh, penalty that actually set up Ponderosa on the 12-yard line. But they did have a holding penalty that took away a touchdown pass to number 41, followed by another block in the back penalty. And so at this point, it was something like second in like... I don't know, second and 20, second and 30. And Ponderosa low-key got a little bit lucky, set up a nice little drive, got a really good play. I think it was a... I think it might have just been a run or a slant up the middle or something like that. And then what ended up happening is that they went back to number 41. The really tall wide receiver. He's like 6'7", or at least that's what he's listed at in Alex Tongren. And, you know, um, like I said, number 41, he only had one catch and one touchdown in this game. But they just threw it up to him. He caught it in, like, triple coverage, uh, making it a 21-0 game because they also missed the extra point. And that was basically it. In the second half, it was just a sloppy game from both sides. 
a lot of penalties, a lot of picks. Um, the quarterback, the Vista Peaks quarterback, Jordy Ruiz, he did end up throwing three picks, including one, I think, at the end of the first half. So not really counting that, but that's still two interceptions in the second half, though. So that's bad. Um, they allowed a lot of sacks. Ponderosa, I mean, they weren't like having a crazy pass rush with like their four defensive linemen or whatever it was, you know. Uh, they were sending corner blitzes, and the quarterback, Jordy Ruiz, just didn't recognize that at all. He maybe recognized it one or two times. Uh, one of those times, you know, he recognized where the blitz was coming from. It was a corner who had the responsibility in the flats usually, and so he threw it to a wide receiver who was waiting in the flats and then I think and that was like a you know nice 15 yard gain and then he did it one more time but after that you know Ponderosa just started blitz blitzing him from his blind side and he just I, I don't know he just didn't have the awareness to like pick that up or whatever because he just kept getting hit and so that happened and then you know eventually down the line Vista Peak couldn't even block the uh, regular three or four that they were already sending Ad additionally to the corners and safeties that they were sending on blitzes off the edges as well and so Vista Peak in my opinion um really lost this game more than Ponderosa won it and that's no shade to Ponderosa they have some good players and whatnot but uh, Vista Peak bad penalties you know they had a horrible first half with penalties at one point they did call a timeout but that didn't stop the penalties at all um they're already down like 15-0 21-0 at that point and so you can't win a game with that many bad game or not game killing but drive killing penalties that end up killing the game for you eventually ponderosa simply took care of business got it done uh one i guess interesting thing that happened in this game uh they started with their freshman quarterback andrew heidel to start the first half and he was a little erratic i would say he was just kind of playing a little bit all over the place did get a touchdown throw on a nice little slant route but other than that you know he was just all over the place um, he looked like a freshman, to be honest with you, and I think it kind of kept up with him trying to scramble around, and he tried to, like, lower his shoulder into this, uh, Vista Peak player, but he ended up getting absolutely leveled by a cornerback, and, you know, Vista Peak came out to hit, you know, they were doing a solid job on defense and whatnot, um, it was just the offense that just couldn't get it going, they couldn't finish drives, despite, you know, getting on the other side of the field multiple times, and so, um, that's just unacceptable there, but, Anyways, Ponderosa, they did end up putting in their senior quarterback to start the second half. Um, and he didn't play exactly a great game. He was 1-4 for negative 6 yards, actually, and an interception. So, uh, there you go. So, that's uh, that's something interesting to keep in mind with Ponderosa. I do not know if they exactly have a quarterback that they really want to roll with yet. Or if this was just one of their games where they're like, screw it, we'll just play the hot hand. But that's just an interesting note to make there uh, other than that the most impressive players this game was hands down these two vista peak players and that's bryson tory their senior wide receiver um ended the game with six receptions 74 yards had a couple receptions taken back as well i think uh, he really didn't get going into the second half but he's a stud wide receiver and an athlete too then obviously number eight Jordan Mayfield for Vista Peak as well. You already heard his stat line, but he was beasting and feasting all day. It was just unfortunate. A lot of his, uh, you know, a lot of his receptions were taken away, and the quarterback just couldn't quite find him in the end zone. So there you go. But that was the Vista Peak Ponderosa football game. Thank you, Simon, for that summary of the Ponderosa game. I'm going to talk about some other 
Thursday 4A games. There was a really exciting one with a potential player of the week. However, first, I'm going to just shout out Aurora Central here, who, after dropping a week one game to Falcon, has bounced back and won their last four, including a 74 to nothing win over Lincoln this week. I couldn't find any of the stats from this game. However, I think that that score kind of speaks for itself in the fact that Aurora Central took care of business and they are looking to contend here on the 4A level following that first loss of the season and have grown significantly every single week since then. However, I think the biggest story of the week is this Longmont versus Silver Creek game. You have an inner city rivalry here between two Longmont teams who, you know, are both, they're, they're good in their own ways, right? You have Silver Creek, who has the reputation of a very strong defense. And you have the reputation of Longmont with having the explosive offense headlined by Keegan Patterson. And man, this game lived up to some kind of hype. The score was 38 to 27 heading into halftime. And then both defenses stepped up significantly, only allowing a score apiece in the entire second half. And they that didn't even happen until the fourth quarter. So, I mean, and you had both quarterbacks from both sides ball out pretty well. You had Bryce Gore from Silver Creek. He threw three touchdown passes, and he ran slash passed for over 300 yards himself. And, you know, he, he only fumbled one time. So he had an explosive game for this Silver Creek offense and ultimately led this Silver Creek offense to 33 points over the course of the entire game, which I believe is one of their highest point totals all season. So, you know, you had a, a great defense there or a great performance there, I should say, by Bryce Gore. However, he was not going to be outshined by this entire Longmont team put together a very great team victory. On the Longmont side, you had Silas Nolan, who had three tackles for loss, a sack and a hurry against the Silver Creek line. You also had Kale Dirksen, who led the team with nine tackles and also collected two for loss and Grant Cummins, who had five tackles, a tackle for a loss, and a sack. So the Longmont defense was actually wreaking havoc on the Silver Creek offense, which is not something that we've seen this Longmont defense really show that they're capable of all season. So, you know, that is a huge confidence booster for this coaching staff and for the defensive players. I know that they still allowed 33 points, which is not ideal. However, they made plays when it mattered, and, you know, ultimately buckled down I should say in that second half only allowing six points in that fourth quarter so huge kudos to them and overall just a, a great performance from this Longmont defense the Silver Creek defense you know they came out pretty slow I don't think that they were ready for this Longmont offense I'm not sure if they knew that Keegan Patterson was playing because we didn't even know if Keegan Patterson was going to be a go for this week since he did miss last week's game hence Longmont getting clobbered last week so I'm not sure if they weren't expecting that or if they studied the wrong film or whatever but they kind of they, well not kind of they got outplayed pretty hard and they only their only bright spot was Bridger Sutherland's interception on Keegan Patterson and you know also shout out to Bridger Sutherland who caught a touchdown on the offensive side of the ball for Silver Creek but the story of the game and what you guys are all waiting to hear is Longmont eventually scores 45 points on the heels of Keegan Patterson's return to the gridiron. He played a near-perfect game 
outside of that one interception, he went 25 for 31, which is good for over an 80% completion percentage for 497 yards and five passing touchdowns. And he also notched another 32 yards on the ground. So we've seen Keegan Patterson dominate with his legs in multiple games this season, but it was his arm this week that carried this Longmont team to a massive inner city win and one to keep their season alive. You know, he's Final quarterback rating was 147.5. I'm pretty sure that was the highest in the entire state for quarterbacks with at least 10 attempts. I could wholeheartedly believe that, and he was just on fire. He only threw one more incompletion than he had touchdowns, being that he had five touchdowns and six incompletions. So, and you know, when, when the quarterback comes to play, so do the receivers. There were three receivers who had over 100 yards, including Caleb Johnson, who had nine receptions for 136 yards and a score. Jack Mole, who had eight receptions for 170 yards and three scores. And Justice Lilly with six receptions, 174 yards. And the fifth touchdown of Keegan Patterson's night. And, you know, Jack Mole was... All of these receivers are very strong cases to win player of the week on this 4A level as does obviously the quarterback who delivered such an exciting game in Keegan Patterson. But that was all the news from Thursday and Friday. The games that we weren't able to make it to, but we definitely had circled on our schedule included Chatfield and Pine Creek, who both played an incredible game. It was a very back and forth game, I would say, and experienced plays from both sides of the ball, you know. This Chatfield defense was giving Jojo Roy some fits, forcing two interceptions on him. And, you know, the Pine Creek defense was no different, forcing a ton of fits from Chatfield. You know, Brett Alvey for Pine Creek, he was phenomenal in this game and definitely puts his name in the hat for Player of the Week, blowing up the Chatfield backfield constantly. And he ended the day with 11 tackles and three tackles for loss. This Chatfield offense was working in spurts. You know, they had a really good second quarter scoring 14 points, but ultimately they were just wildly inconsistent, I'd say, and just couldn't really develop a rhythm outside of the second quarter. And, you know, they had a chance to do something in this game they had the ball with under five minutes to go they're down 22 to 28 and they start driving until the pine creek defense steps up big as it does and forced a fumble with under two minutes to go that was recovered by kale reeves dunbar to end this game 28 to 22 pine creek gets the victory and even though jojo roy had his struggles through the air he still had three total touchdowns and 178 yards on the ground so, you know, both these teams were very competitive. Brock Narva was the playmaker on the Chatfield side, getting a catching and receive or a rushing and receiving touchdown, I should say. But, you know, it was just it, it was in Pine Creek. I believe it was Pine Creek's homecoming game. So it was a very important game for Pine Creek here. Chatfield and Pine Creek both entered this game undefeated. If you're Chatfield, you should not have your head hanging down you were able to hang very tough with this pine creek team who is a contender on the 4a level and i think that you just proved yourselves as a contender on the 4a level and you know you definitely have impressed 
playmakers corner who originally did not have you in the playoff picture really all that much. So congratulations to Chatfield. They just need to get some consistency on offense. And, you know, honestly, it's still not a bad performance against an incredible Pine Creek defense with a lot of talent all over. So that was the final score from Pine Creek 28, Chatfield 22, and both of them head into league play, I believe. Heading to, actually, I don't know if this was in Denver or in Westminster, but regardless, it was a really close game between Denver South and Stanley Lake. You know, you had a Fulton Jackson-led team for Stanley Lake who he had three touchdowns with two through the air and one on the ground. But Stanley Lake is kind of running out of options as they drop their third game in a row. And then in their next three games, they have Golden, Dakota Ridge, Bear Creek, Oh, and then Chatfield after that, actually. So this is one of the toughest four-game stretches in the state at any level, and they are not really feeling themselves after dropping their third straight. Denver South, they win 34-27, to and it started with a very fast start, honestly, scoring, I believe, 21 points in the first quarter is how Denver South opened up this game, and that was on the heels of Joseph Capra. He went 15 of 22 for two scores, and added another 87 yards on the ground for another two scores. And just, there is no solution to Joseph Capra from this Stanley Lake defense. They were running out of ideas and options. And honestly, Denver South is one of the best teams in 4A. You know, they did lose the home opener to Mesa Ridge. But they they have bounced back incredibly since that loss. It kind of reminds me of how Aurora Central is rolling right now. And... They're, they're able to get it done on both sides of the ball. You have Joseph Capra on that offensive side of the ball. They have some dudes in that backfield. And Jonah Burke, who I believe... Uh, okay, I'm not 100% sure. But I have some suspicions that he's related to Julian Burke, who's down there at CSU Pueblo doing his thing at the quarterback position. But Jonah here, he is incredible on the Denver South defense. I believe he's a sophomore. And he had three tackles for loss in this game alone and that's not even talking about how this ravens defense did this entire game against stanley lake ending the game with five tackles for loss and three sacks constantly being in fulton jackson's face and you know dominating the line of scrimmage on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball that is exactly what you want to do and i think that stanley lake is a pretty quality opponent and looking ahead to their league schedule they i'd say denver south is the favorite to win this league over in the northern part of Colorado, you had Windsor hosting Bear Creek in what looked to be a very physical game, and it lived up to the hype. And in a surprise turn of events, Bear Creek actually outmuscles Windsor in Windsor for a 24-14 victory, with Caleb Sausida having a great game for this Bear Creek defense. He had an interception, a pass deflection, and eight tackles at that position on defense and just was electric for this entire game and so was the entire Bear Creek defense I should say they were partying like it was the mid-2000s they had six sacks three hurries and were just bludgeoning this Windsor backfield and offensive line and you know it was definitely a change of roles for a Windsor team that's usually 
you know, they are dealing the punishment. They are the physical team. They are the ones that have to make you work extra hard and punish you if you throw passes over the middle and punish you if you try and, you know, sneak in a toss play or something like that. But it was completely reversed on this game. Ryan Segovia was a monster for Bear Creek and punished Windsor throughout this game. He toted the ball 32 times for 253 yards and two scores while getting two of the six sacks for this Bear Creek defense and five tackles. He is definitely a candidate for player of the week for this Bear Creek team that, you know, has gotten some really tough victories heading into this league play. And they look the best that they've looked in years, low key. Basically since they left 5A, I'd say. And last but not least on the 4A level, Broomfield is on life support here, losing to Loveland very bad, 35-12. to And, you know, I think that the preseason hype might have gotten to their head, and they are going to need help from everywhere in the state, and their best case scenario is making the playoffs at 500, basically. And it's hard to win football games when you can't protect your quarterback. Cool LaCrue was hurried on 17 of his 30 dropbacks and the Loveland defense was swarming to this ball. They had seven tackles for loss, two sacks and 17 hurries on the night. Like I just mentioned and dominated Broomfield. They forced three turnovers and their offense just controlled the ball. Yeah. Garrett Hart said doing his thing at the quarterback and running back. Well, you know, quarterback that can run kind of position. And yeah, it was an easy cruising win for this Loveland team that just gets better every week. And, you know, they look to, if they make it to the state championship, it's going to be with the exact same formula with a very stout defense and a running game that just gets the job done. And yeah, Broomfield, like I said, it is not looking good out there in Broomfield for Cola Crew and this team as they head into league play where it only gets tougher. And on that note, those were all the games that we actually didn't make it to, but we did make it out to one game. It was the Greeley West versus Greeley Central game out there at District 6 Stadium, where, you know, initially we thought we were going to be treated. Both teams started off very hot with a 7-7 to score, and, <laughs> you know, overall, these, these teams were looking to go back and forth. In the history of this rivalry, I should mention, Greeley West has been running Greeley for quite some time, other than Northridge the past couple of years, but they have owned Greeley Central specifically, winning matchups for the last eight years, excluding last year where they didn't have a matchup due to COVID. And so Greeley West came into this game expecting to do much the same versus Greeley Central, who has been kind of an underdog their entire time since Genoa took the helm at quarterback as a true freshman and is now a sophomore they were hungrier than Greeley West this game, and it was obvious starting in the second quarter. And I almost forgot to mention that this game, these teams were both 0-4 heading into this, and we prioritized it because we've done coverage on Greeley Central, talking about Genoa. That was on our up-and-coming quarterbacks episode, so go ahead and listen back for that. And, you know, there's going to be a spotlight, I believe, on both of these teams on Friday, if I remember correctly from Simon. But anyways, you know, 
they're they these two teams they've had a rough season and it was indicative of the first two drives where they fumbled back to back uh almost neither for a second i thought neither team was going to want to win this football game but you know really central they fumble then they recover a fumble and they go down the field and punch it in for a score really west gets a huge pass over the top on a play action play that makes it all the way to like the six yard line before punching it in themselves and tying the game seven to seven. But then with four minutes to go, Greeley West or Greeley Central, I should say, they get a rushing touchdown out of their running back who had an incredible game. And I'll talk about how he did at the end. But anyways, you know, that puts him up 14 to seven. And then with just under a minute to go in the half, Greeley Central, they get a passing touchdown from Genoa to put them up 20 to 7 heading into halftime and at that point you know this game still looks like it can at least be competitive you know it's only a two score game for the Greeley West team that showed you know potential on offense they were able to move the ball at times but then usually just sputtered out or you know they ran into a Greeley Central line that was just dominating them on both sides of the ball. But, you know, Central showed us some diversity, I'd say, on the offensive side of the ball. You had Randy Matias catch a deep touchdown from Genoa to put him up 20-7. to You had your boy Yahir Chino Cherez Salazar have an incredible game up to this point for a, another touchdown. And, you know, it's Greeley Central is feeling themselves, and they were feeling it. And you could tell because Lupe Guzman, he had an incredible one-handed catch from Genoa to put the central team into a great position. And they handed off to Leon Ramirez, the big 280-pound guard for this central team. They handed off to him from the fullback position, and he rumbled in for a score, making it 26-7. to And this... It, things only progressively got worse as Genoa later found number 22, Mark Sanchez, on a rollout to put Greeley Central up 32-7. to And yeah, really, after getting a 14-7 to lead, they would never let go of that lead. And, you know, Greeley Central, or Greeley West eventually finds the end zone in garbage time to make the final score 32-13. to And so some takeaways from this game is that Leon Ramirez is one of the best interior linemen in the senior class of Colorado. He is severely underrated and has only had a few conversations with some smaller schools, but is an absolute talent. He moves really well, and he was bullying this West team that was, you know, getting frustrated by it. But, you know, my advice to those kids is to simply not be blocked into the ground. So you had... Number 10 for Greeley West, he got ejected after he was blocked into the ground by Leon. He was They started the play on the left hash, and he blocked him all the way out to the sideline and landed on him. And afterwards, he got up and he shoved Leon in the back and grabbed him by the horse collar and got ejected, which is just, maybe don't get blocked into the ground. That's my advice for you, and a lot of parents thought that there should be a personal foul on both teams. I disagree with that. I think that you block into the whistle, and Leon was doing it all game, so maybe don't just get locked in by Leon Ramirez and driven like 20 yards would be my advice for players who or parents who are getting frustrated. Go hit the weight room is kind of where I was at on that. 
Number five for Central also had a pretty good game at cornerback. He had some decent pass breakups and came up and played well in the run game and, you know, had a had a pretty good game himself. I'd say that, oh, in other news, West started this game with quarterback Kevin Serrano instead of Omar Hernandez being my former quarterback. And he, he had some pretty decent passes. He almost had a pick on a very late release during a rollout. I think it was the right read, but I think that he waited just way too long to get his feet set and throw the ball and was very lucky that number five did not intercept that ball. Coming out in the second half, Omar Hernandez came out and he started three of three before getting blown up on back-to-back -back rollouts. And then he underthrew a deep ball. I think that this pass was still catchable. The receiver just had to, you know, make a play. And I don't know, the West receivers kind of seemed like they were scared of making plays at times this night. Dropping the ball a couple of times here. And definitely, it had to be frustrating for this coaching staff as well as Omar, who is delivering some pretty good passes. However, this pass definitely was underthrown. And, you know, it, it led to a turnover on downs. And so, Greeley Central came, came out and went down and drove. And like I said, got that one-handed catch and that handoff to Leon to kind of put this game out of reach. I think that, first off, about this game, these referees were so annoying. They made this game last for probably an additional 30 minutes longer than it had to. And, you know, players are part to blame as well. But, uh, I mean, at one point the refs called a penalty and then they didn't move the ball five yards. And the scorekeeper was embarrassing this game. Holy cow, he must have been asleep in the score box because the refs multiple times would be like, start the clock or set it to this or add points to the board. So the scorekeeper was just, I don't know what was going on in the scorekeeping booth. Like seriously, it's not that hard to keep scoring. Just watch the game. Just watch the game and you know exactly what's happening. So that was super goofy from the refs and just on the official side of things, it was kind of embarrassing and kind of a, a circus in my opinion. So that was, that made the game kind of way less appetizing of a game to go to if you were on an outside perspective. And overall, I'd say that West's biggest problem is they were dominated at the line of scrimmage on both sides and they could not wrap up on tackles to save their lives. Chino had an incredible game and he was eating all game against this West defense who just refused to break down to wrap up. There was a ton of arm tackles they ran through. And I think that that's kind of where West is at right now, where there's there's got to be some kind of change. And I think that they're on their way, honestly. And so that'll be a situation to pay attention to. West honestly might not win a game this year. I love those boys out there. I hope that they find their groove. But ultimately, there's just a lot of discontent and it's just really flat for this Greeley West culture right now. You know, the sideline was almost never excited as far as players go for fellow players making plays. And even the stands were like completely quiet for some reason. And that is concerning. That's when you know that there is a lot of, like I said, discontent both in and out of the building for this Greeley West football team. And I really hope that Omar starts rolling and he gets to have a safe rest of his sophomore season. And I wish the best for those boys. You know, I love them to death. I coached out there last year and I just really hope that they can dig deep and find a want or find a need to 
play better and play harder for not only themselves, but their teammates as well. As for Greeley Central, they break this eight-year streak of losing to West. And not only was this an eight-year streak of losing to West, but the last time they won, it was only seven to nothing. So they squeaked out a win versus here. They get a dominant win. They had great performances. Chino actually won MVP of this game. Leon Ramirez was dominant on both sides of the ball, blowing up the offensive line and blowing up the defensive line and ends and linebackers and showed great mobility as well as strength. And Genoa finally got his first varsity dub as a starting quarterback, and he had to feel good about this game. He looked really nice. He had pretty decent looks downfield and, you know, completed some really good quick rhythm pa passes. There is one play that he got bailed out on where West just failed to make a pick six, basically, because there was pressure on a screen pass, and I don't know what was going on, but he way under-delivered on the screen pass, and it got bobbled around in the air. And ultimately, West probably should have gotten a pick six off of this play, but just missed it. And so Genoa got bailed out there, which, you know, if that pick six happens, this game is probably extremely different from how it ended. But woulda, coulda, shoulda is kind of the story here for this West team. And Greeley Central, like I said, congratulations to them. Congratulations to Genoa. We actually got to meet Genoa, Leon, and Chino after the game. And these are great kids, you know, they are leaders and they absolutely deserve looks on the next level. And, you know, hopefully this is the beginning of something and not just an anomaly where they can only beat one team. Hopefully they can carry some momentum. This is a really tough league. They have a very tough matchup this next week. But, you know, I, I'd say anything is possible after you get that first win and you get that confidence going. They have Skyline next week who, you know, just got thumped this past weekend. And then they have some manageable games against Longmont and Grand Junction Central, in my opinion, before facing off against Loveland and ending the season with Monarch. So hopefully this is not their only win this season. But anyways, we can actually jump ahead to 5A with not a whole lot of surprises, but some surprises. On the Thursday games, you had Arvada West bounce back against a subpar Fossil Ridge team following a loss to Creek, and they advanced to 4-1 and one behind a strong performance in the backfield and the quarterback. I also want to shout out the Fossil Ridge quarterback, who is actually responsible for all three of their touchdowns. And speaking of bounce back, Thunder Ridge also bounced back after losing to Arapahoe last week at LPS. They got massive games out of Seth Frazier and J.D. Rickford against a team that they should win, but... Nonetheless, they scored five combined touchdowns and, you know, kind of got their rhythm reestablished. And the Thursday night game that I was actually able to make was Chaparral versus Fairview. In this game, this stadium was nearly empty, by the way, which was wild. I don't know if there is some kind of other event going on or because it was a Thursday, but it was a pathetic crowd, I'd say, on Fairview's part. It was a super empty stadium. And... You know, I, get, I bet a lot of fans are glad that they didn't come because this was kind of a rattling game for Fairview. Grant Page actually had to be carted off the field and was last seen in a big knee brace. And I think that that shook this team and, you know, their freshman quarterback Beckham kind of hard because they were not able to score in the second half of this game. They went into half only down 21 to 13. And it was a very defensive game on both sides of the ball for both teams, I'd say. 
and this was my first time watching Kylan Wilson live actually who was incredible in this game and essential to this chaparral upset over Fairview in my opinion you know at one point you know Camden Vaught and Kylan Wilson they both did a great job moving the chains Wilson finished the game with 26 carries for 151 yards and three rushing touchdowns and throwing one touchdown on only one completion so kylan wilson was responsible for all 28 points that chaparral gets in this game as they beat fairview 28 to 13. i will say that the most impressive players in my eyes from this game on the chaparral side was camden vaught he ran the ball 12 times for 82 yards and also notched eight tackles and a sack on the defensive side of the ball so camden vaught is definitely a player to look out for obviously kylan wilson he did lose one fumble but he also got five tackles and a fumble recovery and a blocked field goal on defense. So, you know, he really did it all on both sides of the ball and has a very strong candidacy to win player of the week here, especially in an upset on the road. And, you know, uh, Jeff Freeman was one other guy for the Chaparral team who he only had a half sack listed, but it felt like he was winning off the edge basically every single play against this Fairview line. And I think that he's going to be an absolute game wrecker heading into the league part of this season. And ultimately, you know, I think that this game came down to a final drive where Chaparral was up 21 to 13 and Kylan Wilson took over this game. He had two first downs on fourth down runs here. And then he punched it in himself in the red zone. And, you know, when you think about players and big time players and playmakers, Kylan Wilson showed that he is exactly that on this final drive, getting critical first downs to keep the clock and the chains moving, and then just doing it himself on a quarterback power play and ending the game, putting it completely out of reach for this Fairview team that, you know, was a bit erratic in the second half. You know, Beckham, Kritza, he was missing some very easy hitch routes, and he was also taking some really bad slash unfortunate sacks. And... You know, I, I get it. There is the Fairview line wasn't really holding up, but you just got to be aware of the situation and know that you have to look at your first read. And if that's not open and you feel pressure, you got to get rid of that ball, throw it way out of bounds, you know, but like deep down a sideline so that no one can make a play on it. Or, you know, I don't know. There was just, it was unfortunate, like I said, but they were really bad sacks to take. And this is definitely going to be a learning experience. I had a chance to talk to him after the game. I just, you know advised him to look at the film they have legacy this week so they should be able to bounce back and honestly i got a feel for him you know it's tough losing your number one target you know before the halfway point in a game and you know a lot of these receivers did step up but they were definitely missing grant page from what i could tell and i really hope that grant is okay but from the energy i was kind of getting from the fairview sideline as well as the fairview stands it definitely seems like a season-ending injury. It could be an ACL tear, in which case that would be a dang shame for Colorado football and for Grant Page and this Fairview team moving forward. But I still think that regardless, they still had multiple chances to come back, but they just failed to click at all in the second half. And so they were missing throws, they were missing handoffs, and they were missing holes in the running game and ultimately lose this game and fall to two losses on the season. Meanwhile, Chaparral improves to three and two. 
Moving on to Friday's games. You had some pretty good games this Friday, honestly, where you had Arapaho spoil Rock Canyon's homecoming with a 41-35 victory. You had big performances out of Pyrese Miller, Cole Hansen, and, of course, that dominant defensive line with Jackson Adams and Jared Ramos. I wish that I could have seen this game, but, you know, it is what it is. But, anyways, hopping over to a big game between an Arvada Pomona and a Smoky Hill. This was a very close game that Smoky Hill was able to convert a two-point conversion in the fourth quarter to outlast Pomona 28-27. to You had a massive game out of Chase Muller, who had 235 yards on the ground, but I think that the story belongs to the Smoky Hill offense with the likes of Anthony Harris, who caught for over 108 yards and a touchdown, and then Marvin Jones III, who ran for 166 yards and two scores in a very tight game. It was very back and forth. Pomona was really consistent throughout the game, and Smoky Hill just rode hot hands to a victory. And, you know, this Smoky Hill team, it's really hard to get a gauge on exactly how good they are. But, you know, I think that they've figured out an identity, and you love a very close win over against, or I should say, over a quality opponent and Pomona heading into league play. And as for our game of the week from last week, we had Mason Austin watching this game. And boy, was it a game between Columbine and Valorant. So I'm going to read through Mason's notes here on what he had to say. So as far as his takeaways from offense, he said that, you know, number 27, that being Gavin Sawchuk, was a great running back with good vision. He hits holes really hard. And there's an amazing line. And so he said that number 27 is able to turn any drive into a one-play drive with a long touchdown run. And also, he was pretty impressed with the stiff arms that number 27 was delivering. He also noted here that number 19, their quarterback, is very accurate. He noted that, you know, there were crossing routes and short throws, but the receivers, you know, they, they were able to catch a variety of passes from this quarterback and that they were just really quick dots and quick rhythm kind of plays here. And, you know, that's that's where they found part of their stride, especially late in the game against a stout Columbine defense. Then there's also a, you know, his notes as far as the offensive line is that their offensive line is super solid. They do a good job of zone blocking. And uh, Jake McCoola showed out in this game and was a force on this line who is able to eat up some of the pressure from this Columbine defense as for the Columbine offense you know there's he said that the quarterback is a good read option quarterback who plays a bit more of a running back role then also for the running back that you know they're okay number 34 that's Seth Cromwell he said that he's a tough downhill runner and he also noted that the fullbacks in this set are very strong he also wrote down about the running game that Columbine kind of only had four formations and they ran an interesting kind of like, you know, misdirection, but not a whole lot of misdirection, if that makes sense. He said that the offensive line did a great job of power run blocking, but their pass pro was bad and he starred that. And that is not good news for this Columbine team trying to compete for a state title. There are way better pass rushes 
in the state of Colorado. And if they run into an Arapahoe and they get into a situation where they have to pass, it sounds like they are simply going to lose. But anyways, as for the defense, I'm going to start with his notes on Columbine. He said that number 58 was consistent at creating pressure on this Columbine defense. And that is going to be Trace Williams, who Mason was very impressed by. And ultimately, he said that this defense just made a lot of really simple mistakes. They had some missed tackles. Number 13 was really good off the edge as well, Mason was saying. I think that he might have meant number 38 being uh, PJ Wainwright. But anyways, you know, PJ, he had a sack in this game. And in the second half, he said that this team buckled down after Gavin Sawchuk went crazy in the first half. And they started shutting down the run. But then the passing game opened up for Valor. And Mason noted that it was kind of a defending the pass or the run. But they could not do both. As for Valor's defense, he said that they loaded the box. Obviously, when you play a team that can't pass like Columbine, then that's what that's exactly what you do. And so they had great gang tackling. They were pressuring the quarterback all night. They were in the backfield religiously against this team. And, you know, ultimately they ended with five tackles for loss and, you know, uh, two sacks as well for, for this Valor team. So up front... That front seven is very strong. And Mason said that the only thing that he had a concern about is that they were over committed to the middle run and they left a left edge kind of wide open. But he really liked what he saw out of number 66, who is a senior for this Valor team. And that is going to be Nick Chapdelaine, who, you know, he said did a good job of stuffing the run. And he said he's, he's just a solid D-line. And he also noted uh, Carter Forsyth, who had one of the sacks of this game. He said that he really liked what he saw from him. Overall insight and takeaways from this team, from these teams is that, you know, that Valor played basically a bear formation against this Creek team. It's not usually what they play, but they do a good job of adjusting. And, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, they have a lot of pre-snap movement and they, they were able to switch offenses and kind of showed a little bit more variety than what we're used to seeing out of this team. And also noted that they have an interesting kickoff formation. I should have asked him a bit more about that. We talked about basically everything else, but I don't know what's up with this kickoff formation. But the he was, he was very impressed by this offense. They're very polished. He said the quarterback is accurate and, you know, kind of was able to take away some things that maybe Simon and I didn't see out of this preview for this Valor team. And he also really liked the fourth down stop to kind of end this game and keep Columbine out of it. <sighs> for Columbine, he, he said that, you know, number one is always lead blocking and he is disgusted by how simple the playbook is at Columbine. He was texting us during the game, actually saying, Bro, I could draw this entire playbook on one sheet of paper and it doesn't even have to be a big sheet of paper. So, and that's exactly what Simon and I talked about before the season, talking about why Columbine isn't really one of our contenders and it's because of their very simple playbook. Um, he, he said that their offensive line doesn't adjust to pressure and that, you know, every pass attempt was ending in a sack or a blocked pass or a pressure. 
and you know Columbine didn't complete a pass until there was 755 to go in the game and he was disgusted by it and overall that's one thing that was not surprising to hear from Mason about this game was that Columbine cannot call an offense and you know that's why that they're that's why they're not in a conversation to win state so you know Columbine they're still in a league where they can win they usually get by by playing really physical defense and you know just handing the ball off 30 times a game which appears to still be the plan even if it's not working and we're not convinced on this Columbine quarterback he is just not the guy to win to lead Columbine to a state championship as for Valor you gotta give it up to Gavin Sawchuk he had 22 carries for 154 yards and three scores while adding a score in the air and three other catches that added up to 52 yards. And on the defensive side of the ball, you know, Carter Forsyth, he had a pass deflection, a sack, and Caden Hawkins as well. They were both just nightmares in the backfield, getting four tackles for loss and 20 total tackles. And that's not even to mention Zach Wiley and Roman Bradley, who are flying all over the field. And ultimately helping Valor secure a dub against this Columbine team. So that does it for all of the recaps, and we're going to take a small break. When we come back from the break, I will talk players of the week as well as a preview and games to watch for this upcoming week where we start league play here in Colorado. Coming up next. Hey y'all, and welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. On this last segment, talking about players of the week from week five, as well as looking ahead to week six. So we're just going to go through this one through 5A. And so starting off, our 1A player of the week is going to be Cole Kerr for Wiggins High School in this big win that they got against Flatirons Academy. Both of these teams were undefeated. And I was more than impressed with Cole Kerr's performance as he completed 69% of his passes. He threw four touchdowns and ran in another two, basically being responsible for every single, well, not basically, but being responsible for every single touchdown that Wiggins scored and throwing for 315 yards and adding on another 161 on the ground, going for nearly 500 total yards. Cole Kerr did it all and did it against a good team, in my opinion. He spread the ball around and was just so dominant. Moving on to the 2A level, I am going to give it to Resurrection Christian's own Justin Hawthorne against a 3A team in Holy Family. Resurrection Christian got the dub, and I think that was in huge part thanks to Justin Hawthorne. He had two sacks, 10 tackles, and three for loss, and was giving this Holy Family team fits on the offensive side of the ball and therefore is the Playmakers Corner 2A Player of the Week. Moving into the 3A division or level, there were quite a few good candidates here. You know, you had Lutheran's quarterback. I think that you also had um, the running backs from Durango here. You had some defensive players from Mesa Ridge. However, I am going to give this one to Palisades' own Malachi Espinosa, who, like I said, ran for five touchdowns and 130 rushing yards in this game against Conifer and also completed a single pass for 27 yards. But it was mainly 
just the scoring volume from Espinosa here being absolutely dominant against, I think, a pretty good Conifer defensive system and scheme with some pretty good players on the defensive side of the ball. He was just so electric and so successful, and he averaged like 10 yards per carry, which is amongst the best in the state for someone who had at least 10 carries. So congratulations to Malachi for being Playmaker Corners 3A Player of the Week. In the 4A, this was probably the toughest conversation that I had. You had Bear Creek's Caleb Sacita and Ryan Sokovia, who both balled out in their win over Windsor in a very tight game that, you know, they were definitely on my list. I really liked Brett Alvey's performance against Chatfield for Pine Creek with 11 tackles and three for loss in what ultimately became a game with big defensive plays, meaning a whole lot in a very tight contest. All three of those guys were absolute ballers this week and kudos to them. However, I'm going to have to give it to a former player of the week in Keegan Patterson. After missing a week and Longmont getting stomped, he returns in the most massive way imaginable for this Longmont team to be a very good Silver Creek team and keep their season alive, almost throwing for 500 yards and adding another 32, over 500 yards from scrimmage in this game for Keegan Patterson. Five touchdowns, 147.5 QBR. There is just, it's just absurd what he was able to do. And to make three receivers potential players of the week, you gotta hand it to the quarterback for just having a phenomenal game and one that matters a whole lot. This is a rivalry game here. And so I am going with Keegan Patterson for my 4A player of the week. As for 5A, I think that there are only two players really in this conversation. Actually, we'll say three players. Marvin Jones III and his performance for Smoky Hill was a pretty clutch performance here in a very tight game. I also really liked Kylan Wilson's performance against Fairview. However, I am going to give it to the number one player on the number one team in the state, and that is Gavin Sawchuck. Like I said earlier, 22 carries. 154 yards and three rushing touchdowns and also showing that he can succeed as a pass catching back with four catches for 52 yards and a score. He was dominant against a very good Columbine team and a very solid Columbine defense. He was able to find holes and use good vision and contribute through both the air and ground to be playmaker corners, playmakers corner 5A player of the week. So, once again, that is Cole Kerr from Wiggins High School, Justin Hawthorne from Resurrection Christian High School, Malachi Espinosa from Palisade High School, Keegan Patterson of Longmont High School, and Gavin Sawchuk of Valor Christian High School for our Players of the Week. As for this upcoming week, looking at some of the games, you have Lakewood versus Pomona. Pomona kind of in a must-win situation against Lakewood here at 2-3. and three. Lakewood coming off of a tough loss last week, I believe, to Palmer Ridge. That is on Thursday. We will also try and attend the Rock Canyon at Thunder Ridge game that is on Thursday to see Seth Frazier in person for ourselves. You also have the beginning of Centennial League play with Eagle Crest and Arapahoe, and then Smoky Hill and Grandview as well. And then in the Patriot League, you have University High School versus Severance High School. Severance, who is currently undefeated, and University, who is 3-1. and one. So, some pretty good games there across mainly the 
5A level, however, a really good one on that 2A level. On Friday, you have some really big games out there in Colorado Springs area. You have Montrose versus Palmer Ridge. Both teams are currently undefeated. And boy, that is a massive game on that 4A level. Continuing down the list here, you also have Chaparral and Regis Jesuit, who are both 3-2 and two, squaring off against each other. You have a 3-2 and two Coronado team facing a 3-2 and two Pueblo West team that is looking to continue their role. On the 2A level, you have Platte Valley and Brush, both at 2-2 two and two apiece. Windsor against Broomfield. Wiggins, on this 1A level, you have some massive games, actually, with Wiggins versus Ray on Friday night. You have Buena Vista versus North Fork. Buena Vista being 5-0, North Fork being 4-0, Wiggins being 4-0, Ray being 3-1. So massive 1A Friday night here. You also have on the 1A level, in a game that I plan on making out to, Lyman versus Yuma. You know, Yuma being 3-1 and Lyman currently being undefeated. On the 5A level, you also have a Mountain Vista versus Valor Christian game. You have a Canyon City and Holy Family game. You have the beginning of Southwest Conference League play with Pagosa Springs and Alamosa. Like I mentioned in the 4A segment, Greeley Central will face off against Skyline coming up. Fairview has a game against Legacy. Let's see, what else do we have here? Florence versus Rye. You have a 5-0 team versus a 3-2 team. That should be a pretty good 1A football matchup on Friday night. Holyoke versus Burlington should be a good game, but the Playmakers Corner game of the week and the one that Simon Villanos will attend is Fountain Fort Carson versus Mesa Ridge, FFC at 4-1, and, and Mesa Ridge at 3-2. and two. So this will be a huge game. I believe that this is also a rivalry game here. So stay tuned for that one. If you travel up north or west, actually west because it's in Glenwood, you have Roosevelt versus Glenwood Springs. Roosevelt being currently undefeated and Glenwood Springs being 3-1. and one. So that'll be a huge matchup on that 3A level. The 5A level has another big matchup in Columbine versus Arvada West, who are both 4-1. and one. Bear Creek and Dakota Ridge, 4-1 versus 5-0 oh there on that 4A Jeffco level. And let's see, is there any other Friday games that look of any import? You have George Washington versus Evergreen. George Washington High School being 3-1 and, and Evergreen being currently undefeated. Moffat County and Basalt, both currently undefeated at 4-0. Cherry Creek and Cherokee Trail, both at 4-1. So honestly, this is a turning point in the season. Pine Creek versus Legend. Pine Creek being undefeated, Legend being 4-1. Silver Creek versus Erie, but Silver Creek's a bit on a slide. Let's see if Erie can kind of you know, stomp them out and kind of basically end Silver Creek season, honestly, um, if they really put it to them. On Saturday, it doesn't look like we have too much going on here. You have Grand Junction Central and Longmont both at two and three, and Longmont looking to continue the role that they're on and make a push for the playoffs. And as for the biggest game on Saturday at three o'clock, you have Eaton versus the academy the academy being the home team both of these teams are currently undefeated eaton being number one in the 2a class and you have the academy being number 13 in the 2a class so this should be a very tight game and i think that max preps actually has the academy favored in this game by a point and a half so this will be eaton's first real test i would say and we'll see just how legitimate the academy wildcats 
R. But that kind of does it for our week six preview. Make sure to stay tuned for those games. As I said, I will be at the Yuma versus Lyman game. Simon will be at the Mesa Ridge versus, what was it? Fountain Fort Carson game. And that'll be our game of the week and plenty of others to look out for. But that will do it for this episode of Playmakers Corner Podcast. Once again, for more insight, takes, and whatever we have to think about, make sure to listen to all of our previous recaps as well as our previews for the season. We are uh, we are doing so-so on our preview, I would say. But we're not completely dead in the water. But anyways, um, you have to follow us on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can find us at Playmakers Corner or at Playmaker Corner. Make sure to share us. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, or basically anywhere you listen to podcasts. Make sure to subscribe to us there and leave us a review. Tell us how you think that we're doing. We are so grateful for how much y'all have been listening lately, and we appreciate all of our fans, and we will continue to try and do what we can for y'all and get you some exposure and whatnot, because that is really what it's all about. It's all about you, the players. And if that wasn't evident by the first segment, uh, as far as what we here at Playmakers Corner care about, as far as people over sports and, you know, what's best for the players, then, well, maybe re-listen to that first segment. But anyways, I've been your host, Cody Stoffer. Thank you for rocking with us, and peace.